If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Oh snap, it's that time again, boys and girls Time for your favorite podcast, the Heretic Happy Hour Podcast And um, we are doing part two uh, the why did Jesus have to die? So I guess it wasn't enough the first time. We're gonna uh, maybe crucify him again or something. But we're gonna Yay! we're gonna jump back into this, uh, finish up this topic. Hey, my name is Keith Giles. I am the author of the Jesus Un series of books. The seventh and final title just released: Jesus Unarmed: How the Prince of Peace Disarms Our Violence, with a foreword by John Fugelsang. Excited about that. Also joined here by my amazing co-hosts Matt, Derek, and Katie. Say hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control. And what else? I don't have a new book that just released, but kudos, Keith. I'm excited. Uh, there's been lots of buzz, uh, so I'm excited to read it and see. Um, yeah, share share all the wealth with all of the listeners. I wish I had something more exciting to share about life, but like just plodding along. Happy to be here. Let's 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 talk about death and crucifixion, my favorite topics. Woo-hoo. <laughs> And I am Derek Day, the author of Deconstructing Religion and the Love Minus Religion blog on Patheos, which I'll get back to now that I have completed my move to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes, that's right. I have left the great state of Arizona, left the desert for the green pastures of the Midwest. Derek, how many times have you sung, sung Oklahoma since you've been there? Zero. Or have people sung it to you? Zero. Did I just oh, out zero. myself as a white person who knows the musical Oklahoma? Uh, Keith knows it. You, you saw him, he was revving up right there. Oklahoma, <laughs> <laughs> where the wind comes crashing through the plane. Yeah. Yeah. But that's anyway, all I know. That, actually. So I can't sing anything beyond that. I don't have any exciting news. I want to give kudos to Keith, of course, for his, I mean, he is the J-fucking-Z of Christian theology. You know, he's just constantly producing new content, constantly making collaborations. Constantly, he's just, the, he is the man. He's the producer. He's like, he, we, we're, we're going to call him KZ from now on. You know, K to Z. As long as Wendy can be Beyonce, I think that's good. I, it's on. It's on. And uh, before <laughs> I kick it back to Matt, I, I just want to say that he's got something really exciting to share. That's so, right. So, Matt, take oh it my away. God, who the hell is? <laughs> well, obviously not our producer. And, and your publisher, apparently. And my publisher <laughs> really does not like my new book. But if anyone else out there doesn't listen to Ralph's opinion, it is uh, go to genesisofviolence.com. This is a book that I wrote like four or five years ago, and it took years to do the art for. And so it's a graphic novel type of book that chronicles the book of Genesis. So if you're into that sort of thing, head on over to head, uh, genesisofviolence.com and pick it up. I'd be super stoked. And that's all I have for myself. But I think we have to address the fact that last episode, Keith, I I, I feel like you have to say something. You weren't no. there. Yeah. And well, you and you, I you and I were researching your new book, Jesus Undressed, I believe is the title. Yeah, well, you know, that's what I'm planning. I'm not sure if I'm gonna write it or not, but I figured we I did need to do the research. And thank you for coming with me, by the way. You're welcome. Because I was I was very self-conscious, you know, uh, just being there alone. You shouldn't be. It was and a well, lovely time. It's always nice to have another guy with you, especially if they have a smaller penis than you, and it makes you feel better. So thank you for being there. Uh, <laughs> that meant a lot to me. That you're willing to do that, and that meant you know what I mean that goes a long way. So thank hey, you. Man. Those those like myself don't need to talk about it. We know <laughs> we know when we talk about it, we're making up for something. Yeah. Wait a second. The, the rumor the rumor was that that where Matt was keeping his cell phone was like on a tether that was tethered to something, yeah. and you have to have some yeah, substances in order to, to support a cell phone. It was swinging around there a little bit. Yeah, it was kind of dangerous. Well, since, anyway, you know, let's move on. Wait, wait, no, no, I got to stay here for a second. Since we're, <laughs> since we're talking about like <laughs> crucifixion and redemption, you know, it's just that you guys went back to the Garden of Eden, like you reclaimed yes. that state yeah. of original innocence. 
That was mm-hmm. the whole point, really. It was, it, it, right. That's what it was. It was, it was this Christian, I think there might have been a cult, but they were like going back to Eden and everyone was naked and we're all eating apples and, you know, hanging, lounging around. Um, got some really interesting sunburns, though, but yeah, it was, you know, it was so, worth it. Hey, was, 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 was anything like nailed to the cross by chance? Just ask. Um, there was no, no nailing done there as no much nailing. as no nailing. wanted to. Okay. Yeah. No nailing. Nope. There's so a lot everybody, of bad everybody. jokes I could make about snakes and serpents. and yeah. <laughs> I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on, like Matt suggested. Good Especially idea. talking snakes. <laughs> talking, yes. My snake doesn't talk. <laughs> Mine does. Speak for yourself, pal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You do a podcast. <laughs> oh, my Derek, goodness. Derek, save us. Save us. Okay, so... Listen, if you want to get in touch with the Heretic Happy Hour crew, the best way to do it is by dialing our hotline number. You can exercise finger dexterity by dialing 240-343-7379. Once again, 240-343-7379. And roll that beautiful text footage. And it reads, hey guys. What do you think of the Ananias and Sapphira story in Acts chapter 5? I think the culture of the early church was such that you had to give up all your wealth to the community and poor. How strong was the social pressure that they experienced that they were compelled to lie about their wealth? Was it a prerequisite to joining? According to the story, God ceases to see the value of ceases to see the value of their existence and kills them for their hypocrisy in failing to admit publicly that they were only giving up half of their wealth. Was this story a form of early church propaganda? Jesus, after all, never killed anyone for their hypocrisy. He just hurled some really creative insults and tables at them. Brood of Vipers is my favorite. Love the show. Big fan. And a sign. Anonymous. I just got to say this, brood of vipers, y'all know that that was Jesus cussing. Y'all know that, right? Uh-huh. Jesus was, was cussing. His- Jesus was fuck, 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 fuck. I could, I could, see, I could see a metal band being called brood, brood of vipers. I bet there was one. I bet there is easily a Christian metal band Some called brood of vipers. Christian yeah. metal band, yeah. yeah. Um, for, those of us, for those of us with serious snake phobia, it does strike fear in the heart. It's, uh, it works, yeah. 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 Well, you wouldn't so, have wanted to be with me and Keith last week. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a lot of snakes around there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I you would know, that say... That stick just, was my idea, and I now regret it. Sorry. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, you <laughs> 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 opened go up ahead. a can of worms. Uh, yeah, or a can of snakes. <laughs> <Sorry>. Worms. <laughs> yeah. Worms is probably more accurate, to be honest, uh, than I'll snakes. Anyway, yourself, <laughs> anyway uh, um, uh, I, I wrote a blog on this. Uh, it's a really a fascinating topic because my theory actually is that P, uh, Peter killed them. And I think it's written in such a way to sort of, um, as if God did it because, you know, God was, uh, God was pouring out his wrath on them for their disobedience or blah, blah, blah. So, uh, that's my theory. I, and I think there's clues even in, within the story itself that it wasn't really God that did it, but Peter that did it, um, like quickly, for example, in Jewish culture, um, when someone dies, it's customary that the family members bury the person. Um, and uh, instead, when Ananias is struck dead, they immediately take him and run outside and dig a hole and throw him in it and cover him up. That's not what Jewish people do when someone dies. If anything, uh, his wife would have been the one they would have first told and asked her to handle the burial. Um, and then when she comes in, same thing, throw her in a hole, dig a hole and, and bury her quickly. Uh, it seems kind of suspicious to me. Uh, and other reasons. So anyway, um, that's my theory. And I would also know that there's something else you say in the, in the comment here, anonymous, uh, if that's your real name, um, where you say the culture of the early church was such that you had to give up all your wealth to the community. And I would challenge that idea. I would say at least early on, at least at the time this story would have taken place, that w- it wasn't a prerequisite. In other words, it wasn't commanded. In fact, I think even in that story, that's part of what Peter says to them is that they could have sold the property for whatever they wanted, and they could have kept all the money if they wanted, or they could have given any amount they wanted. So there was freedom, I think, all the way up, certainly up until Tertullian's time, uh, because Tertullian also writes about uh, the fact that the early church, that the giving was... um, 
was totally voluntary. You, you know, they, you would give something if you could and if you wanted to, and not you. No one was compelled to do that. He uses that, those exact words. Um, now there were the Essenes who were around there at the time, and they did demand if you were going to be a member of the Essenes, you did have to give up everything to them. Um, and there might have been Christian communities later that would have. Uh, maybe uh, demanded such a thing, but I don't think that was something demanded during, at least during that time, the early, early church. Um, but yeah, certainly a, a troublesome story. And um, I think it's actually an example of the early church, uh, the disciples of Jesus making some wrong turns. Uh, right about that same part of Acts, they also, the, the, the uh, apostles or the disciples decide um, to elect some people to do that, that work of like waiting tables because they're too important. It's like missing the whole point of Jesus thing about no washing feet is the, the, what you're supposed to do. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think there's, I think Acts is actually a series of mistakes that they made uh, rather than always a list of great things that they did. Yeah, they call it the Acts of the Apostles, not the good Acts of the Apostles. And I think that that's a, that, that's a big point. Yeah, there's good and bad there. Yeah. I so, agree. So, but Keith, I'm 100% on board with you that Peter is the, is the murderer in this case. And, uh, and, and I also think that Peter was a bit malicious about it because the, the whole thing about Ananias and Sapphira, like you said, uh, perfectly stated that it had nothing to do with that they, that they held anything back. They could have held back the whole thing. Basically, That's their right. sin in this case was watching on a pledge, right? Right. And, and for, right. and for some <laughs> reason, Peter found this to be particularly offensive like somebody who walked on a bet for him with him before you know yeah an unforgivable sin that is worthy of the capital offense yeah, yeah. That's crazy. And, and, and so so basically the, the whole thing about life and death being in the power of the tongue and and that you know that if you speak to this mountain then command it to move that it'll be moved and blah 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 and all peter did was just act on what the the uh the power the authority uh that he had been vested with or that he understood that he had and he he abused it, and and I think that this is one of these stories that's been abused by the church to hold people in bondage for for many centuries. That you know, if you don't give, God's gonna God's gonna get it from you some other way. You know that kind of thing. so. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that's uh, that, that that's pretty much it. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna kind of rewind just a little bit. Um, th- I, this is not a literal story in my perspective at all. Where you know, the what we see in Acts 2 and 4 about people selling their all their possessions, it's not to give it to the poor. It's to put it in a common community pot so that members of the community are all cared for. Um, we know that's idealized, though, right? Like Socialism. Yeah, well, even communism <laughs> even, right? But like, that's, um, that's an idealized form. I mean, it's kind of like when we present the foundings of America as everyone's like, in unanimity and agreeing on the declaration and the constitution and that there's no friction. And, you know, we know that that's all sort of mythic and, and, and whitewashed. And I mean that with every single connotation that I possibly can mean that. Um, so I think if we see, if we see acts two and four as similar, this story kind of falls into place. It's a story that's contributing to the narrative that you can't have. I mean, yeah, you can't have liars within the community. I'm not saying it's not troubling. I mean, like, I'm not sure that this um, punishment uh, fits the crime at all, but it's, um, it's kind of part and parcel with the ethics that are being promoted with the communistic ethics of the, uh, of the early church. But, you know, we know that not everyone did that because like, the, the early church was relying on wealthy donors to continue donating. Yeah, I, I I read it kind of as a myth as well. And I wouldn't go so far as to say who killed Ananias and Sapphira, but I think we definitely read God into the text there. And it's interesting that, Keith, I remember when you wrote that blog, and people would be more upset that you said Peter might have killed him than God. I, know, and I, find, I, find, I find that troubling <laughs> that we would, be, right. we would be more bent out of shape that some some dude, as important as Peter is to history and all that. Peter's not a murderer. God is. God is. That's and it's okay. like, man, that's worse. Because <laughs> so, he's right. God. I, he's suffering. I, I, I remember hearing a conversation, I forget who it was. It was at the uh, Wild Goose Festival between um, Rayborn Johnson and Kevin 
Kevin Miller and I think Brad Jersak was there and they talked about how it almost reads as like the fall of the church. Yes, I agree. And with I that. found that interesting. And then, um, you know, if I put my Gerard hat on, you know, w- when we talk about how we write myth, we paper over who the victims are. Yep. And so we kind of, um, you know, we kind of, or, or who does the victimizing? We paper over the, the you know, the truth. And uh, that reads to me as, as like, uh, what's going on there. Like, we almost kind of see, well, they had it coming. But they're the victims of, of, of dying. I mean, they, someone killed them. Or, or they had some, so, you know, if, if it's a literal story. But to me, it reads kind of, I'd be more inclined to agree, Keith, with you and Derek and say that Peter or, or someone in the church had a hand to play in that rather than saying, oh, God just struck him down. Because if that's the case, we, we've got some troubling theology for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is why it's I... a holy cover-up. Yeah. I, it's just that's why I can't accept it being... I mean, it's so maybe, you know, Katie, I like your perspective too. Like, uh, if it's literal... If if you're if it's supposed to be taken like oh yeah you know God struck them dead like well to me that's bullshit I just I can't accept that so that's the first thing that for me is a red flag of like well if this really happened I don't think God did it so if God didn't do it hmm who's left <laughs> probably Peter he's the one pissed off he's the one in charge he's the one presiding over the whole operation and then it even says this is the other thing that I think is interesting too right after that it says that all the people meaning everyone in the city and the community around them was filled with great terror and fear, and no one dared to join them, which is the exact reverse of what happens in Acts 2, when, right, everyone's, you know, joyfully sharing what they have in common, and there's all this love, and everything's wonderful, and people are, like, clamoring to figure out who this Jesus person was, and and all this stuff, and it's like, and they're filled with love. The the presiding cloud over, uh, over the early Christian community is love, and it's so beautiful. And then, then it, right here, all of a sudden, it turns, and the cloud around them is great fear and terror. I don't think, again, that's that would have been the goal. So, Right. Well, just one last thing I want to throw in on this is that my case for Peter being the assassin in this case comes from Acts chapter 2. Because when, when, he, when Peter and John encounter the man on the porch, on, on the steps of the porch, and he's begging for alms, and Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, to, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In other words, Peter's flexing right there because he said, such as I have, I give to you. And so Peter is establishing at that point, I have this power and I'm going to show you what I can do with it. And so when he, when Ananias and Sapphira uh, welched on the bet, and I'm telling you, Peter was a fisherman. So somebody probably welched on a bet for him before, <laughs> and it probably really pissed him off. He never got over it. And when, when Ananias and Sapphira did that, Peter's like, you know, God damn it, I'm going to get him this time. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm wondering if there's something even more banal happening, like they just died unexpectedly, and then they found out, like the early church found out their lie, and then we have to make up like an a a big story about it, you know? That's right. Like, that's right. <laughs> like, let's yeah. make them the bad guys in yeah. this. And see, Katie, that's that's the uh, that's great. I'm so glad you said that because that you're right. That actually is a very possible uh, because yeah. people do this all the time, right? Something bad happens, and then when the bad thing happens to the person, God, then you start looking at them down. Right. Well, what did they do? Why did something bad happen? Oh, look at that. There was some sin. There's some secret sin. That's why God did it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. like That's all probably... the plagues that are sent. And... Exactly. Well, all right. So uh, well, great question. Uh, really stimulating conversation. Thanks for bringing me back to this story. It was fun to, uh, it was kind of fun to reread it. Um, so we're moving from one kind of great and terrible act and then into another with our heretic of the week. So if you are someone who grew up Assemblies of God or something like it, you started to question hell, and then you thought, hey, maybe I can uh, get into magic and magical acts. You're going to love our heretic of the week this week. It's the heretic of the week. Hey, I'm Craig, and I am a heretic. Hi, Hi, Craig. Craig. (laughs) 
<laughs> Craig, welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Um, tell us, what makes you a heretic? Oh, man, there's so many things, right? So um, I'm, uh, I profess to be a Christian, but I don't believe in hell. So I'm a universalist. I don't believe the Bible is necessarily infallible. And um, there's an amalgamation of beliefs that go along with that, that people would definitely push me in the heretic category, but I'm actually kind of proud to be there. I think that's good company to keep. There's well, a long obviously, history yes. of those folks, right? Yes, totally agree. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> with the right people. Yeah. You're in the right place. Yes, you're among friends. Welcome to hell. <laughs> are there are there specific instances where those beliefs uh you mentioned the bible and you mentioned uh universalism where that's gotten you in trouble or um specific things that people have said regarding that and and what has been your response to that yeah so you know i started out um as probably any one of you did you know which was some form of invitation uh Probably it was, uh, I grew up in the Bible Belt, so probably some Baptist church type thing, you know, which started that that system. But then as I went along and um, became more involved in my faith and even became a pastor and went into ministry, I always had a problem with the issue of, of hell. And um, that always got me in trouble because as a preacher, I would never, I would never preach on hell like ever um, because I really just never had full buy-in. And so um, that was part of the one of the things that got me into trouble, especially later on in my ministry, is um, I started a Wednesday night group that was very informal and I would never give answers. I would only present questions. And when the issue of hell came up one evening, um, I uh, refused to answer and gave a, a bunch of verses on that were more in line with universalism. And that started the descent into being a heretic. And a lot of people in the church were frustrated. And then the organization, which was the Assemblies of God, started to have some conflict with them. And uh, it just became a point where I knew I, I need to really separate myself from what I would call evangelical Christianity. I just really didn't fit in. So, Craig, one of the one of the ways I know we connected um, you. So, Craig has an awesome podcast. We're going to talk about that uh, later on. So we want to direct everyone there. Um, but I know one of the ways we connected was over this, um, the kind of like mystical, metaphysical, even magical strands of Christianity. And Absolutely. I know I follow your Instagram posts with great curiosity because like you kind of have some forays about magic in there. And I'm just kind of curious if you can take us along on that journey, on that magical journey uh, with you. What's what's going on with you about that these days? Yeah, so, you know, throughout history, um, the idea of magic um, or or being able to channel energy and use it for your benefit has always been something that's been alive in every single culture. Um, Christianity somewhere along the line, probably with King James, right? Who's another guy, not high on my list, by the way, but um, yeah. <laughs> horrible human being, but right. And very whatever. shrewd, very shrewd. Yeah. Yes. Horrible guy, but, and very, very confused, but that's okay. Um, but up until him, I mean, magical practices had been very much a part of every culture and a part of the Christian culture as well. You know, when you look at the casting of lots, I mean, what they were doing there is trying to discover, you know, exactly what God's will is through divination. So things like tarot cards or any type of divination process, I don't think it's something that should be shunned or pushed away or viewed as evil just because somewhere along the line, you know, King James thought, I mean, literally, the guy thought witches were trying to kill him while he was at sea, right? He's a complete nut job. And so, but we take his biases and somehow they get woven into the Christian fabric and we cast aside a lot of things that are really important. When you look at the New Testament, almost every doctrine is contrived or conceived through gnosis, right? Like, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they're all answering. And Peter says, well, you know, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. In other words, what he's saying is you didn't learn this through study. This was direct, uh, you know, um, 
like an oracle of God speaking here. Yeah. You know, you receive this directly from God. So I think that there are metaphysical aspects to humans that we need to pay attention to. And I know in my own life, and, you know, I, I used to try to hide it a bit, but now, that, I mean, who cares, right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I, I probably am half crazy, and, that, and that's totally okay. But throughout my life, I always had a deep companionship in some way with nature. And I don't mean that I loved nature, but I meant that I literally identified with it in many ways. I could feel energetic responses from trees, bushes, water, whatever it may be. And so there was a point in my spiritual practice where I really dove into more earth-based, I guess, ideas about religion, which at one time were very much a part of the Christian and particularly the Hebrew faith. And um, part of that was the the practice of magic, where you um, focused on directing energy towards the things that you wanted to manifest in your into your life. And so that is a big part of my spiritual practice, even to this day. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, and I've done a whole lot of things on witchcraft on the podcast because, you know, originally everybody's just like, well, you can't mix the two, but they've been mixing the two for hundreds of years. So, um, yeah, magical, uh, magical uh, practices are a big part of my of my spiritual journey. So I have a question. <clears throat> I yeah. saw this recently. Some ancient um, paintings or drawings of Jesus wielding what looked to be a magic wand or some kind of talisman like that. And, and what do you think that uh, of the possibility of Jesus having been um, – more of a metaphysician or a uh, magical practitioner or or something some kind of um, tapped into some kind of earth spirituality rather than this uh, son of God messiah narrative of traditional Christianity mm-hmm. well I think that there's a lot of basis for it I you know do I have complete buy-in with that um, probably not at this point but um, there's plenty of reason to believe you know we know that he spent a great deal of his time outside of the hebrew faith well let's say outside of the hebrew culture where he would have been very exposed to those kinds of practices and don't forget that within the hebrew culture there were a lot of magical practices there is a magical practice Mm. specific to that culture and so when we see things like divination and other aspects in the bible or simon the sorcerer or the witch of endor those were practices that were very widely accepted they were community practices and really simon or even the witch of endor they don't they aren't necessarily in trouble for what they do but they're in trouble for specific instances. You know, Simon wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that seemed to be a big problem with Peter, who, you know, probably later on changed his mind anyway, right? Because he's so up and down. And um, and then, you know, the the witch, I mean, of Endor, she doesn't really get in trouble other than she was fooled by the king, you know? And so, so Saul is the one who's like the yeah. troubleshooter there. I mean, he's the one. He gets rebuked. I mean, yeah, he gets, yeah, he's, and he, from my reading too, he's in trouble for, um, well, partially he kicked all the sorcerers out of the land and then goes to one. uh, So he's a hypocrite. That's great Uh, guy. But he's also, you know, just a bad king. (laughs) I mean, just a terrible king. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Craig. I'm just affirming, I'm affirming your interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, No, I appreciate it. That, you you know, that uh, the mother of Samantha in the series Bewitched Endora, they got her name from the Witch of Endor true story i did not know that that's cool well and i just looked up these i just googled while we were talking those images thank you derek oh my gosh he is totally holding a wand yeah Yeah. it's completely a magical wand or is he just happy to see you it's like just way, oh, he, way he, out to the side, Keith. Yeah, he's all right, way up. Yes. I can't see the picture. I, I can't see the better. He's like really well endowed. You know, if he's the son of, if he's the son of God, you, you know, you think that he would, God would have given him a really nice one, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, putting it out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think you're under something. Yeah, for sure. Start a whole thing on that, right? Yeah, you can do that. Go for it. Nah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, I just do you find. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna just say, do you find that um, you run into 
more issues with your theology or some of this metaphysical stuff when it comes to your, your run-of-the-mill Christian? You know, honestly, man, the biggest thing that the biggest bitch that I get is the hell thing. It's, yep. it, it is. It's crazy. I, you know, I could conjure up demons from this, the, the, the whatever regions of, of hell there are and, and probably still, you know, at least be an usher. But if you don't believe in hell, get your ass out of here. Yeah. Right. The hell thing is huge. I agree. Yeah, it's a big deal. I love it. I'm picturing you holding a magic wand, just preaching hell and everything's fine. That's right. Yeah, it's it's totally fine. Let me show you uh, some people that have been there, you know, conjure one, conjure two. But yeah, yeah, the hell thing is, and it's the fascination Christians have with hell. It's just, it's just unbelievable to me. Why would you want that for someone? I, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation, right? I think part of it is the way we evangelize, right? It's it, the whole, when you have a whole, you know, um, generations and generations of people that are in the pews. And the only reason they're there is because the way they got there was somebody said, Hey, raise your hand. If you don't want to burn in hell forever, I see that mm-hmm. hand repeat this prayer and ding you're in. So when you suddenly suggest that, well, you know, that whole hell thing we talked about in day one. Yeah. Maybe that isn't real and true at all then it's sort of like, well, then the whole thing seems to be, well, what is it about? Right. So I think that's part of it. That's part of the, uh, the reason why there's a, a huge pushback against it. You got to have a burn to turn from, right? That's right. You need <laughs> a, a burn to turn from. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I guess to me, it's just, first of all, in any other relationship, right. Other than the God relationship in any other relationship, it's, it's absolutely abuse. You know, uh, I love you and everything is fine, but if you try to leave, uh, I'm going to kill you. Right. So in any of the relationship, a counselor, a friend, anybody says you got to get out, you got to get out of that. That's abuse. But for some reason, God gets a pass. And I know for me at some point along, along the line, and I remember having a, 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 a conversation with somebody, um, and they said, well, why don't you believe? I don't get it. Why can't you just believe in it? And I just said, and I was still a pastor at the time. So it was a shocking statement at the time. It's not now, but I basically just said, because God can't be that big of a dick. There's just, right. there's just no way. <laughs> right. I mean, being a, you know, at some point you realize being a human is, man, it's way harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, it's super hard, man. There's all kinds of pain and questions and you thought life was going to work out one way or you, you got married and you thought, man, this is, we're going to be together forever. And then that doesn't work. And so at some point in time, you just realize, man, life is really hard, dude. And at the end of it all, there's some God who says, well, I mean, you didn't figure it out. So you're done forever. No way. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't. I can't believe it. The great sin is uncertainty. That's right. You're going to hell for uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> so, Craig, Katie mentioned your podcast earlier. Tell us about that and send our listeners your way. Um, I, I mentioned earlier before recording a rebranding. So, so talk all about that. Yeah, man. So the um, the podcast originally was called the Black Sheep Experience. I literally started it. Um, when I left the ministry and, um, as I was a minister within the assemblies of God, I did that for 20 years. And, um, when I left the ministry, I I needed an outlet. I needed a place to kind of chronicle for myself, what I believed. And it was called the black sheep experience. And probably the first year is just deconstruction. And it's just me talking about hell or confusion about God amongst the early church. And so there's a lot of gold uh, if you're deconstructing in that first year. And then I went through a real witchcraft magic phase. And so there's a bunch of that and how that is um, married to a Christian faith. Um, And then just maybe a couple of months ago, I rebranded and we called, I I went from the black sheep experience to rebel soul syndicate. And um, the reason for the name change was 
because the podcast began to encompass um, more about finding peace and happiness and that those probably came through a variety of um, avenues, not just spirituality. So the podcast has a greater, uh, it, it encompasses a greater, I guess, um, subject matter than just deconstruction. So the Rebel Soul Syndicate is the name of the podcast now. And you'd find that, um, first of all, there's an Instagram page, there's a Facebook page, there is also, it's on Spotify, Audible, you know, um, Apple Podcasts, it's everywhere. So it's very easy to find. You all definitely want to follow Rebel Soul Syndicate on uh, Instagram because uh, they're uh, eminently re- um, I was going to say retweetable, but whatever that's called on Instagram, you know, you'll want to uh, post that to your story all the time. It's great. That's really great uh, post. Yeah. Sometimes I, I get a little, I get a little um, passionate, but that's okay. That's okay. It's good. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> that's good. Instagram seems to be the safest place to do that. It's, it seems less toxic than, than Twitter. I think uh, evangelicals haven't discovered Instagram yet. They're still on Facebook. <laughs> right. and, well, they're on TikTok, though, too. <laughs> right. They are on TikTok. Yeah, Is that I, right? I, I just followed you, man. But, um, you know, don't follow me back unless you're really in the mood for a real shit storm. <laughs> I, I will agree with that. For that. Yeah, always in the mood for that. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here, Craig. This has been a real treat. Awesome. Oh no. Yeah. So I'm so glad to be on, you know, I, it's, it's a tough thing. I, I, um, you know, trying to discover yourself as you're deconstructing or trying to come to, I think a place of comfort with your questions. I think that that's really critically important. And, you know, I, I don't have a great idea on your audience brand, but I'm sure that a lot of them are living moderately heretical lives and trying to find peace with that. And I've, I've really come to a place where I've found a lot of peace with the questions. I'm, I'm super comfortable with not knowing. And I, I think that we serve a God, um, you know, however that may manifest itself or, or truly be. I think that we serve a God that's very comfortable with those questions. And I have zero fear that he, that he, that he isn't, you know? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Craig. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks, much. Craig. Thanks, Craig. Yep. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Craig. That was so great. Um, I got to say, I was really surprised uh, when we got into that stuff about magic and, and stuff um, that it was actually really cool. It wasn't as woo-woo and out there as I might have imagined. I really I really enjoyed that a lot. That was really cool. Uh, that is awesome. Craig is bringing Keith around to the woo-woo. So Derek, yeah. you and I can welcome another into our ranks really soon. I'm going to get everyone a magic wand, obviously. I'll be the last holdout in any woo-woo. Hug me. <laughs> Give me a hug. <laughs> Matt needs a really big magic wand, just so you know. He's going to need a bigger one. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, you know, the other thing, Thank Craig, you, Craig. I, I really loved about your uh, about your talk is that you use the, you use the word fuck almost as much as Matthew DiStefano. I, I honestly think that I, I don't use it that much anymore. I think, Derek, you've taken the ring. Derek has you've taken, taken... You've taken my shtick, and now I have yeah. nothing oh, left on the right. Matt has nothing left. Matt's bereft. <laughs> I have nothing left to contribute. <laughs> After Keith has emasculated me, Derek, you took away my words. That's Well, Matt, that's why you need a bigger magic wand. Yes, exactly. That's what That'll I've heard. That'll change everything. Yeah, well. Or talking snake. <laughs> I've got one of those. Hey, maybe we should. Uh, is there a way to get us into the topic here somehow? Let's, we can Left make an turn. abrupt transition. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So Just why like did Jesus die? <laughs> so why did Jesus have to die? Part two. Um, yeah. yeah, I and we were trying to figure out like what did we not cover? Because I know we've we left that conversation feeling like there was more ground to cover, and um, I think we answered the basic question about why just Jesus had to die fairly well, but we kind of also kind of went into some other territory, talked about covenants and all kinds of other things. Um, but the, we, I think there's a couple of things we probably need to uh, finish up on this, on this question, right? So what is it? What do we still need to, uh, to talk about next on this, well, uh, in case, this question? Yeah, in case anyone hasn't, um, you know, doesn't remember, hasn't listened to the episode, it's two episodes ago. And, and just basically, why did Jesus have to die? Because all human beings die. That's right. The same That's reason every human being same, yeah. who's ever been born has to die. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. So outside of that, I mean, I guess it comes down to theologizing. What is your, what does our theology look like for, you know, how does it fit with the cross and could it fit without the cross? If, you know, if like, I think I brought up the point, like if Jesus was like Buddha and lived to be in his eighties, let's say, would he still be important? And also, you know, um, we always talk about atonement and the cross, but for one, do we need the cross to have atonement or do we need atonement at all? So that right there, dude. Okay. We need to spend some time on that right there. That is a great, great question. Cause the assumption in Christianity is that apart from the cross, there is no atonement. Like, in other words, the, the assumed answer to that question for a lot of evangelical Christians is why did Jesus have to die? So that we could experience this atonement, right, with God. And I yeah. agree with you. I would say that I don't think actually that anyone needs to die for us to experience an atonement with God. And, and by the way, I mean, come on. I mean, I don't see, I don't see, think. If you look at um, at the Gospels and if you look at the the actual letters of, of Paul, I think this is even something supported, this idea that, you know, if we were separated from God, it was in our minds, not in God's mind, right? Um, like in 2 Corinthians 5.19, what was happening on the cross was God was reconciling the world to himself, but not counting our sins against us. Like, that's not what's happening on the cross. But even in, even in the saying that, oh, he was reconciling the world to himself, again, I, I think the separation is sort of the myth. Um, because again, the, the atonement is sort of assumed that it's correcting something that's broken, right? And so the, the relationship was broken. You know, we already covered the whole thing in the previous episode in this series about the, the quote-unquote fall, uh, the separation of God and man, which I don't think is, that is not what's happening there. But if you think that, if you think you are separated from God because of your sin, then yeah, then you feel like, well, someone's got to fix this. And Jesus is supposed to be the one to come and fix it. But hey, what if there was never a separation as far as God was concerned? We're the ones who bought into the idea. Yeah, then then I don't think Jesus had to die to give us atonement. But um, I think you could make a case that the crucifixion of Jesus was a, was one way to help us see and realize that we we are one with God and we always have been. You know, earlier this morning, I was speaking on a webinar in my usual profession in software engineering, and we were talking about self-healing uh, software or self-healing applications or self-healing infrastructure. And and I, I want to throw out something really out there. And And what if, that when Adam died, it said that by Adam, death came into the world. And if something had to die in order for there to be redemption, then Adam's death, by definition, satisfied, you know, satisfied the original sin, if you will. That, that by, by the mere fact that he died, that the, that the sacrifice was fulfilled at that time and that, and that it was completely misinterpreted going forward. In other words, that's that's so cool that, that it's a, you know that basically God had a, a uh, an entire uh, self healing practice built into the whole apparatus. Dude, I have never heard anybody even suggest that possibility. But and I, who knows? Maybe it's more heresy. But dude, I mean, really though, if you just take the story in itself, I know we're going back to the previous one about Genesis, but but it's okay. So Adam and Eve. You know, God sets up this thing, don't eat from that tree. If you do, you'll surely die. They eat from it and they die. The yeah. end. Like yeah. why? Uh, he doesn't say you and every human being from now and ever and ever and ever nope. will have to die because nope. of what you did. Just, he says you. Just you. Right. That's right. <clears throat> Holy crap, dude. <laughs> the whole thing is like, it's been expanded out, carried far, far beyond uh, anything. Well, and and then the, the other thing that I want to throw out too is that the whole cross thing, you know, people make such a big deal out of the cross. I think that if Jesus were to come back right now and see all these crosses, he would be absolutely mortified. He would be like, holy fuck, guys. Really? Crosses? Really? Are yeah. you kidding me? You know, crosses? And right. if you really want to make something out of the whole Golgotha theme, that I would say put crime scene tape around the hill and and say that this is that that what happened here was that a man was unjustly killed. End of story. 
Yeah. So that's that's my contribution to theolo- theological heresies today. I have I have, I have thoughts. You know, I Derek, I'm intrigued by your Adam theory. It's contingent on us understanding Adam through the lens of Paul. Like that's really Paul's thing. Like no one really does that until let me kick in there. Paul, first <laughs> of all, fuck Paul. Uh, your favorite, your favorite. <laughs> Go ahead, keep going. I just had to say that. Well, like, like the understanding of the understanding of Adam as the first death, and then and then Christ as the rede- redeeming redeem redemption of um, of Adam. I, I I could be wrong about this. My my colleagues can correct me, um, but I don't think that comes about until Paul. And so it's like really kind of his, like it's this early Christian theory. It's not a, it doesn't predate Christianity. There's no original, like there's no original sin until later on in Christianity. Um, and so I like it as a beautiful counter narrative to the traditional Christian theology of actually original sin. Like, I don't think Adam was a, real person um, who had to die in this way, you know, like this is all, but like as part of a mythic story that's being told, I really enjoy kind of thinking about that. So I'm, I'm just thinking about it first time I've heard it. So I'm just kind of thinking about it now, but you know, for me, I think when we're at some of the points everyone has touched on already, you know, why does Jesus have to die? Um, everyone has to die. I'm, I'm all on board with all of that, but I do find meaning making in the cross. Like, I also, I don't find it meaningless um, in my right. own personal journey, in my own theology. Um, I also don't find it atoning. Right. Um, and so I'm always curious, what are the other, what are the other parts of the story? And like Derek, I'm, um, I do see, yeah, the cross, like the, the death of Jesus on the cross as a, as, as a crime scene, as the death of an, uh, as an unjust death, uh, at the hands of a cruel empire. Um, and, and at the hands of an empire where life was fairly meaningless, like life in the Roman Empire, just people were um, killed left and right for entertainment uh, in the Roman Empire. And so I do think that we can see the cross as a statement against that um, and, and carry that forward to, our, um, to today. And it has some liberating um, messages uh, in that death. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that you um, differentiate, Katie, between something that's non-atoning but still has meaning. Because like you, I, I have to ask, like, if atonement is like being reconciled to God or being made at one with God and things like that, what about the murder of Jesus 2,000 years ago reconciles me living in California to God? Like that, that I don't, I don't get that. But at the same time, like I definitely, there's meaning in there. Just like there's meaning in all the deaths of great leaders who have died for a cause at the hands of tyrants. Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, people who have uh, died at the hands, uh, uh, you know, in an unjust way. And, and so there's meaning in all those kind of things. But at the same time, again, practically speaking, and for me, the, if there's going to be theology at all, it has to be practical. And if it's not, it's just, it's just bullshit theology. And so practically speaking, how am I atoned with God because of the death of Jesus? How does that, how does that work for me in practical terms? And not 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 just pie in the sky theological musing, but like really like in the day to day, how does that work? For me, it doesn't. I think it definitely. I agree with Katie also that the death of Jesus absolutely has meaning. And like you said, Matt, you know, it, to say, oh, you know, the death of Martin Luther King was meaningless; it meant nothing, or the death of Gandhi meant nothing, or the death of Socrates meant nothing, and or you know, oh, you can go throughout history and look at very you know peaceful, peace loving wise, kind, revolutionary people who are seeking to do their best and gave their lives for what they believed in and died in the process. And certainly we wouldn't say that those deaths were meaningless. Of course, those deaths are very meaningful, very important. And that's why those stories mean something to us. That's why we still remember those stories and tell those stories and and, um, and remember them. So I think 
absolutely the death of Jesus has meaning, but I, I agree with you, Matt. It has meaning, but that meaning is nothing to do with atonement. I think, you know, and that's why there are other atonement theories. The most of us only know that one atonement theory that came up in the 1500s uh, by this guy, John Calvin. But there was like six before that one. And, um, you know, one of them was Christus Victor. So the idea that the death of Jesus was in some way, in a spiritual sense, overcoming, you know, that Christ was victorious over death and sin and um, oppression and all these kinds of things. Or there's also um, the uh, the idea of, uh, of a moral example, right? So that the death of Jesus, it has meaning because Jesus shows us how to live uh, a virtuous life, and then he shows us even how to die a virtuous death, right? Forgiving those even as they're killing him and caring for his mother, even as he's on the cross and all these kinds of things. So, um, and there's, again, I think all those other atonement theories prior to uh, penal substitution were trying to make sense of the cross. And often we're attributing spiritual meanings to what was what really happened that may or may not have been real or true. But again, I think most of them were done, I think, in good faith from a place of sort of like trying to make sense of this thing, this horrible thing that happened. Because uh, as we said, I think in the last time we covered this topic, you know, the disciples describe it as a murder uh, of an innocent man. That's what happened in their mind, their view. An innocent person was put to death by by powers and authorities, the political and the religious authorities. Um, and so that's just sort of the facts. That's what happened. By making meaning of it, absolutely there's meaning. But uh, yeah, I'm just at a place where I reject this idea that his death was necessary so that to make God happy, right? God had to sacrifice himself to himself to appease himself so he could, you know, save us from himself. Now, that's, that's, that's nonsense. I don't believe that. Well, I, one of the things that troubles me about the whole Christian narrative is this whole death cult thing, right? That, that, that we focus on the death. And, 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 and in focusing in on the death, we, we, we completely miss the three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry. In other words, we put the death uh, above that. Now, granted, you know, when, when I look at Jesus, the, the person, or Jesus, the story, that I'm looking at that time of ministry, that time of service to mankind, to humanity. And then in the resurrection, I, 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 see, I see the hope that springs beyond death. And in and, and all of this, I see death as a bit player in this, but not as a major character if that makes sense, because I, I, I try to focus on the living aspects of it and not the dying aspects of it. So even even when you look at people like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi or Malcolm X or, or in, anyone who was uh, cut down in their prime, it's not so much the death that really makes the difference. It's what did they live for? What did they stand right. for? What what yeah. was it? What were they about when they were among us? And that's the lesson I think that we need to learn. That's what needs to be inculcated into our daily lives. And to Matt's point, that's where it becomes relevant, you know, because death in and of itself, people die all the time. That doesn't really, does it impact me? Absolutely. Is it the thing that guides my life? No, it isn't. Um, I wonder if we can even take this to um, a more granular level. And I'm, I have my, kind of my liberation lens uh, on right here. So I'll just be really honest about that. But we've been talking about deaths of, of leaders, of significant leaders. And I think that that does have meaning. But it might be helpful to talk about unjust deaths of people who aren't leaders. So uh, our cultural touchstone of the past um, two years really is is George Floyd. So George Floyd isn't someone who is necessarily a leader. I mean, maybe he was in his own, you know, in his own neighborhood, but this is an everyday person who died an unjust death. Um, and I, I, I've just been thinking about this since, you know, um, since his death, that I can't breathe words. And then Jesus also um, on the cross, one dies actually mm. of asphyxiation. Great parallel. Yeah, and like this, like we we keep on crucifying people. Like we keep on doing the thing that, you know, in my mind, Jesus' death is telling us not to do anymore, just as a society. Um, and so we saw so much 
reaction and protest and some some beautiful things and some ugly debates that arose after after George Floyd's death. And then the tides have turned in this weird way where a lot of the reforms that had begun are not really happening in the in the way that I wish that they were um, around that. And so it's like, do we have to crucify another person in order to have those happen? And then I kind of look, I mean, just in my philosophical mind, I look after the death of Jesus and um, I know that reform takes a long time, but I'm tired of it taking a long time (laughs) too um, as well. And so I'm kind of wondering what it would be like to pair the death of Jesus, not only with leaders, but everyday people who die at the hands of an unjust state. Katie, I I love that so much. I think that's, that's in the that's in like the practicality of it. Yeah. It's like if we just look at the practicality of the cross, it's like Jesus did die as a common person, just out on side outside on a hill with a bunch of other people. That those hills would have been littered covered with, with crosses. crosses. That's right. As a as a way to say you fuck with us, you're dead. End of story. Like so, you know, I yeah, I, I think that's great. That's that's to me, that's doing the right type of theological work is that thinking about these things in the practical day-to-day on the streets, how does it apply right now? And so, you know, putting it back to like the, I don't want to say the common Christian narrative, but what we hear a lot in America is just talking about these theologies of atonement and blah, 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 whatever you want, fill in the gap. It's all kind of pie in the sky kind of stuff. But when, when you come down to it, if you want to talk about it like like Katie, you just did, how does the crucifixion, how does it relate to George Floyd? How does it relate to, to other unjust slains in the streets? Because that's that's to me is like, I think those are the questions Jesus himself would ask if he was sitting here with us. Oh, mm-hmm. hell yeah. So uh, yeah, Katie, thank you so much. This is this is gold. This is this is exactly why we needed to do another episode on this. Because um, as you were talking, I was thinking about how, you know, a lot is made, even by Paul, uh, and certainly by theologians, on how the death of Jesus brought an end to sacrifice, right? So in a, in a religious sense, his death sort of shined a light on the ugliness and the primitiveness and the backwardness of like, killing an innocent thing, so that to appease the wrath of this angry God. Okay. And we can say, wow, thank you, Jesus. That was great. The death of Jesus on the cross. That's one of the things we could say theologically that was accomplished. So he brought an end to this concept of sacrifice from this religious standpoint. However, the thing that it didn't bring an end to yet, that it would be really nice if we could get to this point, if the, if the death of Jesus could bring an end to the, to the continual, uh, murder of innocent people, right? Uh, by religious or political authorities, um, by police forces, by, you know, military forces, by things like that. That is, that is exactly right. That's the one thing that the cross hasn't accomplished yet. That, um, and it, and it does make you wonder, like, because since Jesus, we can point to, and we already did, right? We pointed to all these other people that some of them we know their names, and a lot of them we don't even know their names because they haven't made no one shot a video, right? We didn't we didn't see a clip on YouTube, and and yet that it's going on right now. It's probably happened today. It's going to happen tomorrow, and it's still going on. And so that absolutely, I think, is one of the things that I think we as followers of Jesus should really take seriously and to say, if anything, the death of Jesus should shine a light on that injustice that it's still going on. And um, and if there's anything we could do to stop that, we should be working to, to do exactly that. Well, you know, um, people talk about the cross as being the end of death, right? That, that, uh, that in, in, in his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And that's the narrative. But let's, let's say if we, if we put the, Matthew DiStefano lands on it and make it practical. And then speaking to Katie's point and Keith to what the point you just made and say, what if the cross should represent the end of violent death? Because it's everyone dies. No one can uh, escape the specter of death. It's, it's a, 
a destination that we all must pass through. But what if the whole, it, it, that, the, that the death of Jesus, that if we're going to make meaning of this particular death, that, that, that we say that the end of violent death, and even, even, if, we can, even if we can get really granular and say that the, the end of death at the hands of religion and empire, just that, if we could get to that, then maybe yeah. uh, we could use, uh, you know, religion and empire as a paradigm for the rest of society and, and say, okay, look, you know, religion and empire, they've gotten their shit together. They're not killing unjustly. How about we, we roll this downhill and, and help others not commit the same crimes. So uh, I'll tell you what, uh, this is, this has been a discussion that has been, um, it has been very, uh, very refreshing and very enlightening. That's uh, yeah. all I can say. As you were talking to Derek, I was thinking about how the death of Jesus uh, as an innocent victim of the state doesn't even convince his followers today that capital punishment is something that they shouldn't be in favor of, right? So we can't even get to that point. <laughs> and like, we, have a, we have a long way to go. Um, there, are, there are Christians today, they're like, oh yeah, God, Jesus would be in favor of that. You sure about that? Because I don't Jesus think he'd be able to stand of that. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, sure. It's, it's interesting. And the cultural depictions too of, of the cross, so I'm thinking most famously, of course, of like Mel Gibson's, um, you know, oh, what Lord. was that movie called? The Passion, passion of the, of the Christ. Christ. Yeah, passion of the Christ. So yeah, True Confessions. I've never seen it. I knew I didn't want to see it. I've managed to resist it. But Good um, for you. From, from from everything I've ever heard, everyone has ever told me, they're like, he bleeds like the blood oh. of like 10 people. Like 10 people. Like one yeah. human cannot, does not have that much blood That's as exactly much as he bleeds. Right. <laughs> and it's so interesting because like we make the cross more gory than it was in our depictions. And it's, I think this is so fascinating because like the Gospel of Mark um, maybe comes closest out of the Gospels to sort of this like Jesus. Jesus dies the death of a ransom, um, someone who's um, someone who's snatched um, in in that story. Uh, maybe like a, in a long in a long way to the well. Maybe the most closest to anything resembling like the atonement and the goriness that we that we see today. But even in the Gospel of Mark, they the Gospel of Mark makes it so clear he suffered for three hours, y'all. The Com- common crucifixion suffering was like days. Days. Like Jesus is yeah. like much shorter. And like the Gospel of Mark makes it clear, not that it was comfortable or anything like that, not that it wasn't painful, but Mark makes it very clear that the real torture of Jesus is the psychological torture. It's the mocking and the um, dressing him as a king. And so it's like we make the cross even more of a bloodbath than it actually was. Right. So that kind yeah, of worship of death, like like Derek was pointing to. Yeah, we're still very bloodthirsty in our, in that sense. Yeah, it's a very. I mean, that movie is a very Americanized. For I mean, we just love. Oh, I mean, yeah. just look at the culture of like American anything. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this for so long, and this might derail us, but I know we're going to be landing anyway fairly soon. But just look at look at the uh, the movies I grew up watching. People's face getting blown off, blood and gore, and everything. But if I saw a pair of boobs, I mean, you got to shut that down. Oh, it's over. And so it was just, it was just yeah. a very um, we fetishized <laughs> the um, the grotesque nature. So you know, it was no surprise. I did see that film. It was no surprise when Mel Gibson has Jesus bleeding ten people's worth of blood. You know, yeah. It's a, it's a very Americanized way of viewing things. Yeah, and you know what? It's really funny too. Is that after I saw Passion of the Christ. For some reason, like maybe a year or so later, it was soon after I had seen it. I rewatched Braveheart, and it shocked me how much Braveheart is Passion of the Christ. Oh. He really, literally took the template of the story Braveheart and just sticks Jesus and the disciples on top of it. I, I was like, wow. holy moly, he just stole this from his own movie. Dang, it was really weird. It was really weird. Yeah, I can yeah. totally I'll, see it though. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll so the only, the only difference is face. Jesus doesn't say freedom, and he's not blue, <laughs> and he's not have a blue face. Yeah. Well, any any final thoughts on this Many, lovely? But I feel very, I feel, but I feel very sanctified and satisfied with the conversation. Dude, we don't, we don't feel like we need a part trois. Oh no, I don't think no. so. We can move on. I think, I think we have. Um, I mean, I think so. 
I think we've answered the question, which was why Jesus had to die. And we've covered all the different things about it. Um, theological, mythological, uh, the atonement side of it, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I, I love Katie, this last part. Thank you for bringing out this, this, um, just the fact that it, <sighs> Jesus being killed this way is just another example of yet another innocent person being put to death. And, uh, you know, and I think in that respect, I don't know if you had this book in mind, but there's a, a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Yeah, it's a very similar, a great book uh, that I think I would recommend. If anybody's curious about this topic and, and specifically that last part, uh, that book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, uh, definitely yeah, you should so get that book. That's by James Cone, who is the yeah. um, founder of Black Theology. Yeah. So everyone no, should run out theology. by this. Yeah, yes, Black Liberation yes, Theology. Yes. Everyone should run, get it read it. Um, I, when I was a prospective um, grad student for, for my master's, uh, the, the school that I went to, James Cone, was a graduate of that school and actually had a terrible like racist experience at the school and oh, um, wow. was like one of the first times he had ever come back to the school. But he was the keynote speaker um, for the weekend that I was there. Um, oh. So it was, yeah, really, really wonderful. Um, wow. Really wonderful to That's be in his awesome. presence. Yeah. Very good stuff. Nice job, y'all. As we wrap up here, let me just tell all you lovely listeners about our website. It is heretichappyhour.com. And from there, you get all uh, all of our episodes, uh, as well as a bookstore. And our bookstore features books from past guests, past heretics of the week. Generally, you're going to save 15% off Check out that bookstore. Check out our, our swag. We got pillows. We have t-shirts. We have hoodies. Uh, I know we all have our favorites there. So go check that out. It's heretichappyhour.com. And we know we didn't cover everything and that you're itching to tell us all the things that we got wrong. And we want you to do so in our free Facebook group called Heresy After Hours. Um, come join it. It's open for the masses, for the mob. Um, come and tell us your theories of why Jesus had to die, if Jesus had to die, what the cross means, if anything, to you. So we'll see you over there in Heresy After Hours. That's right. And if you really, really love this podcast and you want to support it, um, you need to go over to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and become a patron because not only will you, um, you know, get a chance to support your favorite podcast, but you know, what's really cool is that, um, you will get, you'll be invited to an exclusive private Facebook group for, uh, heretic, heretic happy hour members and for supporters only. Uh, and, uh, you'll also get access to additional bonus, uh, conversations we have here on the podcast recorded just for you guys, uh, even extended interview clips, uh, that are also available only to patrons. So head on over there, patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, become a supporter, unlock so much great stuff. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much great stuff is over there. And by the way, if you already support us, thank you. Thank you, thank you. We love you so very, very much. Your support means a lot. And if you love this podcast, please go out to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Not a four-star, not a three-star, but five stars. Because we work hard for the money. And if you give us a five-star rating, we we will guarantee your atonement and guarantee also that you too will not be crucified afresh. Whoa. Okay. That's a strong guarantee. A strong guarantee. I don't know about the I second like one. I don't know about the second one, but maybe the first one, maybe we can guarantee <laughs> it. <laughs> Have we ever issued indulgences? No, well, you know what? If you go to Patreon, actually, that's that's part of it. That you, is, uh, that's true. That's what I'm signed up for. Yeah, I think the first level is indulgence. The second one is their whole family. I forgot the other levels. I'd be willing yeah. to issue a personal indulgence for a five-star rating. There you go. Yeah. With all hey, my authority, all you know, of, of none. That's <laughs> of right. zero. Yeah. Well, you have as much authority as anybody else does. I just put it that way. I just hope you don't have the authority of Peter. <laughs> I'll let you know.